Well, we're continuing our journey in 1 Corinthians, and chapter 4 kind of closes out the first section of the book, which has to do with leadership idolatry. If you've been here for the last month or so, you know that these different chapters, these first four chapters, all kind of relate to leadership and how leadership idolatry um, infects the church. 2,000 years ago in the city of Corinth, the people who made up the church, they were picking their favorite pastors, and it was affecting the church. Here and now, today, 2,000 years later, in the Twin Cities, in Minnesota, in the United States, in the world, there is a lot of leadership idolatry where we we tend to pick our favorite leaders, pick our favorite traditions, pick our favorite doctrines, and then divide. And this last chapter, before we transition into, and be ready for it, next week, we're starting a couple months on sex, singleness, divorce, marriage, sex inside of marriage, sex outside of marriage, all of that, okay? So come back next week if you want to learn about life. Um, We're transitioning to that next week, but this week we're finishing up looking at leadership and leadership idolatry in the church, and I I think it's really appropriate and timely because how I want to I want to ask a question, and I'd love to see your hands raised. And don't worry, I'm sure I apply this this question. I'm sure I'm part of the answer for some of you and not for others. Doesn't matter to me. I want to ask you: How many of you have been hurt or disappointed by church leaders? I have. I'm not going to ask you how many have been hurt and disappointed by our church leaders, but just let's keep it general. How many of you have been hurt and disappointed by church leaders? Almost every hand went up. How many of you have just become skeptical of leadership in general and particularly spiritual leaders? I'm sure there's more hands going up inside. It's okay. Frustration comes from unmet expectations. And I think a lot of the frustrations that we have with church come from unmet expectations. Some are just expectations that people have of leaders and spiritual leaders that may not be fair, but a lot of our frustration related to church comes from this this spiritual expectation that we have that God has put in us, that has been shaped in us from his word, and then those expectations aren't met by spiritual leaders. And so what Paul is doing here in in chapter 4, actually, he is, as he kind of transitions from this leadership idolatry into sexual idolatry and relational idolatry, he's closing out this section on leadership idolatry by setting the record straight, helping us to know what we should expect from church leaders, particularly in this context, the apostles who are shaping the first century church. And so today we're going to look at six things that you should expect from church leaders. And how appropriate on a Sunday that we're installing a new pastor. I almost said six things that you should expect from Kyle. <laughs> but, uh, but I won't do that. This is true of all of our leaders at our church. And I think in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us some healthy expectations. And so if you've ever been hurt by a church or a church leader, and you will be again because all church leaders are fallible, they're human, and so I apologize in advance for the ways that we hurt you, but I want us to see in scriptures together, at least according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, what the expectations are. There's many more expectations, there's more than six, but I want to look specifically at this chapter and see what the expectations are for your church leaders, and, and our church leaders need to hear this over and over again so that we continually strive to lead like Jesus, to lead like the scriptures call us to, and then the members of our church need to hear this so that you guys know what to expect. 
from your leaders. Because unmet expectations create frustration. And so if we all have a similar mind of what the expectations are and we're striving in that direction, I think the church will be more healthy and more unified. And so six different things that we should expect from our church leaders. The first one is that they are to be servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. Look at right there in verse 1. This is how one should regard us. Paul, Paul is making no delay in just addressing what he's dealing with. Here's how one should regard us. The apostles, the leaders, the pastors, the elders, the, the overseers of this church here in Corinth as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Servants are, are, are told what to do by a boss. Church leaders are not the boss. Jesus is the head of the church. All Christians are in a relationship of serving Christ and doing what he commands, right? That's where we get our orders from. Our marching orders as church leaders and really for any Christian, and most of these things just apply to Christians, right? What you should expect from your church leaders first and foremost is that they would be growing as a Christian, that they would just be growing up into all things Christ. And, and so Paul starts by saying that you should regard us as servants of Christ, not servants of the people in the church, not servants of the culture, not servants of the newest, latest fad or church tradition. We don't serve church tradition. Who do we serve? Jesus. We, we get our direction from him. He is our Lord. He is our master. That's what it means to be a servant. You come underneath the lordship and the mastery of someone else. And stewards of the mysteries of God, a, a steward was one who would care for the property or the possessions of somebody else who was in charge of them. And so here Paul is saying that church leaders, they're, they're servants of Christ and they're stewards of the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God means the spiritual knowledge. Church leaders are, are called to, to steward, to care for the, the mysterious nature and teaching of the gospel. If you remember in chapter 2, Paul says that the Holy Spirit is working in us, revealing to the, those who are spiritual, spiritual truths. The role of a church leader is to steward the spiritual truths of God. And there's some mysteries of God that we can't understand that we'll never fully comprehend, but the role of a church leader is to help draw these mysteries out and to see how the gospel applies to all of life. The second piece is related to it. It is faithful. He says, moreover, in verse 2, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. See, servants and stewards, they're both in their Servants are taking their commands, their direction from somebody else. Stewards are caring for somebody else's possessions. The church, the gospel, the, the good news is God's truth. It's God's possession. The church is the bride of Christ. And so church leaders steward that. And anyone who is a servant or a steward of somebody else, they are required to be faithful. To actually care well for the things that are owned by somebody else. If you've ever had somebody like dog sit, you want them to steward your dog, right? To take care of your dog. If you've ever had somebody house sit, you want them to take care of your home. That's the whole reason that they're in your house. House sitting is to take care of it while you're away. If you've ever hired somebody to mow your lawn or, or whatever, right? This is exactly what Paul is getting at here, that church leaders are to be faithful as they serve and they steward. And in our cultural context, there's this drive, this obsession 
in, in all of our culture, right? This is just American culture, and then it applies to the church. There's this drive and obsession for growth. And so some churches and some church leaders will really focus on fruitfulness. We want to be fruitful. We want to grow. We want to grow. We want to expand. We want to change this world. We want to change this city. We want to make an impact. And and you'll hear this in, in church circles and from certain church leaders, kind of this obsession with fruitfulness, with growth. And Paul here is saying that that's not the job of the church leaders to force the church to grow or to expand the gospel or the kingdom. We care about that. But we can't force it. We can't cause it. The role of a church leader is to be faithful. And this relates back to what Paul was telling us in the last chapter, chapter 3, which we looked at last week. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered. Remember this church, they're picking favorite leaders. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, who is Peter. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. See, the role of a church leader, your expectation for your church leaders is that they would be faithful to the scriptures and faithful to the role that God called them to, not that they would be focused on numerical growth. God causes the growth. The church leader's role is to be faithful. The third thing here is that leaders should be open to examination and secure in justification. Look at verses 3 through 5. Paul says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation. Here, here's what he's saying. At a church leader, you should expect your church leaders to be open to examination. They ought to be to a certain degree and level based off of the church to make up the culture, the size. They ought to be accessible to the church. Their, their lives ought to be examinable. Paul here is is saying that, he's saying, but, look at verse 3, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. He's under examination, and it's, it's not a small thing. In fact, I do not even judge myself. And then he's transitioning into this reality of being justified by Jesus, for I am not aware of anything against myself. His life is known enough, he's self-aware enough, and he's under the examination of the church well enough that he's saying, I I don't know, can you find me guilty of anything? Like, call me out, push back, my life is an open book. But then he transitions from being accessible and under examination to the church to being secure in his justification. That means his judgment of God under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. He's saying, I don't, I don't count it a small thing. It is the Lord who judges me. And Paul's not afraid or concerned about the Lord judging him because he knows that he's been judged as righteous and pure and holy because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's true for every one of you. Some of you have been so harshly judged, maybe by leaders or maybe by fellow brothers and sisters in the faith or maybe by the world. If you are in Jesus Christ, know that you are secure in your justification, that you have been and you will be judged by God. And if you're in Christ, that judgment is you are holy and pure and righteous. You have nothing to lose and nothing to prove. This isn't reserved for church leaders, but this is how church leaders ought to think. 
They don't have to prove anything by their fruitfulness in ministry. They don't have to prove anything by getting more followers because they're secure in Jesus. Amen? You guys should want secure church leaders who don't need your approval, don't need your applause, don't need your praise because they have it from God. Amen? That's really hard. So pray for us because who doesn't want to be loved, right? But Paul is saying here, my life is open to examination but I'm secure in my justification. Number four, let's keep moving through this list. They practice what they preach. Look at verse six. He says, I I have applied all of these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. Remember, in this entire context of these first four chapters, he's talking about favoring one leader over the other. And here he's saying, he's been teaching them, he's been shepherding them through these first couple chapters to to see their church leaders as unified and and as being one. Remember last week he ends with, in chapter 3, he says, all are yours. Any teacher, any, any church leader, any spiritual guide who is pointing you towards Jesus is yours, so you don't have to pick camps. You don't have to say, well, that's the person I listen to. That's the person I listen to. This is my theological camp. This is my tribe. This is my church. This is my preferred stream. He's saying, get in every stream. They're all yours. And so he's saying here in verse 6 that they are practicing what they preach. Paul is teaching the church to be unified and to stop dividing and fighting over particular leaders. And he's saying, we ourselves, we are applying this. We are striving to be one as a leadership team. We are loving one another. We are together pointing churches in Corinth and around the cities and around the different, the different countries that they're planting churches in. We are pointing them to Jesus as one. They practice what they preach. It relates to unity here. But this should be an expectation that we have of One another, really, right? I mean, again, all of this applies to all of us. But this is something you should expect from your pastors. You should expect us to practice what we preach. Next, let's keep moving. This this next section is a little bit more confusing, and it and it there's just a ton here. He he really is saying that you should expect your leaders to be willing to be considered scum of the earth. Look at verse 13, and then we'll kind of walk through this entire section here. He says, When slandered we entreat, we have become and are still like the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. Kyle, welcome to this role. You've been in this role before. You understand what it's like. Welcome to the scum. Isn't this crazy language? Paul, in context here, of these, of these verses, verses 7 through, through 13, he's, he's actually getting pretty sarcastic with the church here. See, this church in, first, in, in Corinthians, the church in Corinth, the church of Corinthians, 2,000 years ago, they were, we already know, they were picking sides or picking favorite leaders, and then they were also boasting in their wisdom and boasting in their power. And so Paul here is getting sarcastic with them. Verse 8, he says, already you have all you want? They don't. He's saying, you're living as though you have all that you want. Already you have become rich? Without us, you have become kings? And would you that you did reign so that we might share that rule with you? For I, I, think that, I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death. Saying in this church, there's this pride among the church community that, that 
well, for one, they were looking down on Paul because he came with simple speech. If you remember in the first couple chapters, he's saying, he, he came saying, I, I'm not using elegant speech and worldly wisdom and worldly power. We're not using political powers to take control. I'm not using ele- eloquent words of wisdom to win battles. I'm preaching Jesus Christ crucified. That's foolishness to the world and it's weakness to the world. And so here he's, he's making that point again, saying the way of Jesus is the way of death. The way of Jesus is foolishness to the world. It sounds foolish to say that, yeah, there was this perfect man who lived 2,000 years ago, lived without sin. God, man, lived without sin, died on a cross for my sins, and then he overcame sin and death in the grave, and now I have new life. That it just, what, what, what does that even mean? And that's foolishness to the world. The, the way of Jesus is death and ridicule and foolishness. And this is exactly what he's getting into. He's saying that us apostles, us church leaders, we are, we are like men sentenced to death. Pray for Kyle. Men sentenced to death. And, and he's using this analogy as he goes on to talk about a spectacle in verse 9. In the Roman culture, when they would conquer a new village... They would take prisoners of war and they would come into the largest leading city near that village and they would have a triumphal entry. They would walk through the city and the, 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 armies, the army and the general would be out front celebrating, right? They're, they're powerful, they're wise, they're rich. That's kind of what Paul is alluding to in verses 8 and 9. This, this church in Corinth, they believe that because they have this gospel that they are better than other people and they're touting their new wisdom and their new power. And he's saying, but it's not like that in the kingdom of God. We, we enter as the prisoners of war at the end of the procession, not as those who have conquered at the front of the procession, but those at the end of the procession. We're like those sentenced to death. These Roman soldiers would bring their prisoners of war into the city. They would set them loose in a gladiator coliseum and watch these prisoners of war kill each other or be killed by beasts or gladiators. Paul is saying that's our role as spiritual leaders. We're not elevated. We're not puffed up. We're not touting our stuff. When I, when I was first getting into ministry, I was shadowing an older pastor and... He, every, every time we would like go to a store, he was always asking for a discount because he was a pastor. And it just felt weird to me. And, and I, I just didn't understand it. And the more that I've been in pastoral ministry and the more that I've been exposed to the American church culture, there's such an undercurrent of anti-this where leaders want to be elevated, where leaders want to be honored, where leaders want to be recognized, where leaders want to grow a platform, where leaders want to get special things. And Paul here is saying that, that true spiritual leaders, that's not their motivation. They're willing to die to self, to be considered the scum of the earth. How many of you have heard of preacher and sneakers? Put your hand up nice and high. Not as many as I thought, a few of you. So in 2019... There was this guy who was on YouTube finding, he was a worship leader, he was finding different songs for his worship team to do, and he came upon this one song and noticed that the worship leader was wearing $800 sneakers. And every single week, this worship leader had different clothing on. 
And he's like, what's going on in this American church culture where this worship leader can afford $800 shoes? And so he posted a picture of these shoes on his Instagram account or Twitter account. I can't remember which one. And he went from 400 followers to 100,000 followers in one month time as he began to expose some of the like craving after wealth and success and status and recognition that American church leaders have. And it's not just in American church leaders, but we are in America, so let's talk about that. And, and, he, and this thing just blew up, and he wrote this book called Preacher and Sneakers. And it's all about the, kind of the, the counter-biblical reality that so many preachers, leaders, spiritual teachers in America... They're, they're wannabe celebrities. And this is anti-biblical. It's, it's exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying here. Look at what Paul is saying. He's saying that, that leaders ought to be willing to be reviled, persecuted, slandered. God help us. Church, I, I want you to know that as you consider church involvement, don't get swept up into what feels good to the flesh. The message of the cross is foolishness to the world and weakness to the world. But oh, how it feels good to make a difference and to be influential and to... to, to, to be in an influential group and system, right? And so just be aware, be careful. What we ought to be is people who are willing to be considered the scum of the earth, the refuse, the throwaway, the wipe off of all things. That's what Paul is saying about leaders. So if you're around leaders that think they deserve special treatment, pray for them, challenge them, and consider leaving them. And then lastly, as we close out, the last point that Paul makes here of what we should expect from church leaders is that they would be fathers in the faith. Fathers in the faith. Look at verses 14 through 21. I'm going to start here just in verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He's, he's positioning this church community as his children. He is a spiritual father. Now, we need spiritual mothers in the church as well, right? And so please don't hear me saying that there's not a time and a place to have those conversations about the roles of men and women in leadership in the church. There is a time and a place to have that conversation. We have women leaders in our church. We need, we need spiritual mothers in the church. But Paul here, just specifically in this passage and in this church, he's referring to the male leaders in the church who have, have done a ton of harm and can do a lot of ton of harm and can do a ton of harm if they're not submitting themselves to Christ-like leadership. And so, just stick with this text here. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. A, a father admonishes his children. This word admonish, it, it means to encourage or to exhort. It doesn't mean to just beat up, right? To beat up with hard truth or to beat down or to always correct or contradict. It means to encourage and to build up. It's like yesterday, I took my son Judah snowboarding and He's a beginner, so we spent the day on the bunny hill. I mean, the hill is about the size of this room with a teeny little slant. And it was not fun for me. But I enjoyed watching him learn. 
And, and my role in that, in that setting isn't to berate him for being a beginner, it's to encourage him. Okay, bud, heel side, you got you to gotta tip back on your heels. Toe side, you got to tip. Okay, right here, you got you to gotta turn. And, and, and one of the fun things about being on the bunny hill was I saw a lot of other great mothers and fathers who were admonishing their children to grow in their snowboarding and skiing skills. That, that's the role of a church leader. Hey, let's pray into this. Let's be aware of that. Let's think deeper about this. Maybe let's think less deep on that and worship more here, right? It's admonishing. It's encouraging. And I love how Paul goes on to explain this as he moves through this text. He says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You have countless guides in Christ. You have countless voices in your ears. You have countless radio stations to tune into, for those of you who still do that. You have countless blog posts to read. You have countless podcasts to listen to. You have countless sermons to hear and books to read. There's countless guides in Christ. Receive their teaching. This, this word guides here, guides, it means like a tutor, a teacher. You have countless guides but you have very few fathers. And so he's saying the role of an embodied leader in the church is to love you like a father, to shepherd you like a father, to, to, to shape you like a father, to admonish you like a father, not to just to have deep theological dialogue and debates all the time, not to just give you more teaching, more teaching, more teaching, more teaching, but it's to live as an example, right? Amen? You don't need more information. You need more example. More is caught than taught. I deeply believe that. And sometimes in the American church, I think we've, we've given up discipleship, shaping, relational love, relational care, fatherly admonishment for just one more podcast. One more piece of information. One more thing to make me feel like I'm on the right side of history. And here Paul is saying that, that the church leaders are, are fathers in the faith. They guide you. He says, for I became your father, verse 15, in Christ Jesus through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. I urge you then, be imitators of me. This is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Timothy wasn't his biological child. Timothy was a young leader who Paul had shaped and raised up, and he sends him to the church to, to remind them of the ways of Jesus. That's why the church exists, to gather around the person of Jesus and to walk in the ways of Jesus. Amen? Not to impress ourselves with our buildings, with our speaking, with our music, with our ministries, with our programs, with all the ways that we're making a difference in the world, but to cling to Jesus, the one who was crucified on a Roman cross, a sign of foolishness and weakness to the world. And so church family, every week when we gather here at Park Community Church, we want to gather around Jesus. My role as one of your pastors is to simply point you to Jesus and to try to father you I know some of you are like three times my age. It's a little bit weird for me to father you. But father you in the gospel. Admonish you into the gospel, into the good news, to point us back to Jesus. Jesus. 
Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, as we close down this morning and take communion. Remember in the context of these first four chapters, when Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Church, that's what it's all about. Coming back week in and week out, day in and day out, to the basics of the gospel. Jesus cruce, Jesus Christ crucified. I'm going to pray. And then when you feel led and ready, take communion on your own as the worship team comes up and leads us in a song of reflection. This is here as a reminder for us. If you're striving to walk with Jesus, if your desire is to be an apprentice or a disciple, take communion to remind yourselves that Jesus is all. He's the one we're striving after. He's the one that we're grateful to, for he's the one who's redeemed us. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. I thank you that you were the perfect leader, that you and the Father are one, that you came and and showed us what leadership, spiritual leadership ought to look like. Meekness, humility, loving the outsider, loving the broken, not concerned with yourself, not concerned with your fame, not concerned with your reputation. You were a man of sorrows. You were despised, you were rejected, you were persecuted, you were slandered. And in the midst of it, you lived a perfect life without sinning, without retaliating. You showed us the way that we ought to go. And so this morning, Lord Jesus, as we take communion, I pray that you would remind us that we have the way living in us. We've been shown a new way to live, but we also have the power to live out that way because you, Jesus, overcame sin and death in the grave and you abide in us through your Holy Spirit. We love you and we take communion to remember you. We pray in your name, amen.